Hi, this is the Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Jesus is our coming King, and we're waiting for His return. But waiting can get tough, and it can get old pretty quickly, especially when you're waiting for a really long time. And the church has been waiting for a really long time for Jesus to come back. And as we wait, sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we lose our focus. And this is really true for Christians. We're stuck in between this time of first and second advent We just celebrated First Advent, the birth of Jesus, Christmas, and and joy to the world, and it's amazing. But we look forward to Second Advent, when Jesus returns, and and we've been here for 2,000 years, and he hasn't come back yet. See, Jesus came at Christmas as a little baby, but that baby grew up. He became a man. He lived a perfect and sinless life and he died on the cross for us and then he rose again. And after he had been raised, his disciples gathered around him and they asked a pretty important and pretty relevant question. In Acts chapter one, verse six, it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So they say, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom now? Is is, is Now it's like the end is going to happen. He says, no. And it's not for you to know when that's going to happen. And then he leaves. And the angels say, don't worry, he's coming back. But they didn't say when. And ever since Acts 1, verse 11, the church has been asking, when is he going to come back? Some people write books about it that aren't very accurate or good. But we've been asking nonetheless. And we've been anticipating, wondering, when is he going to come back? And we wait and we wait. And I tell you, when he does come back, he's not coming as a baby again. He's coming as a conquering king. He's going to defeat his enemies and fully rescue his people. And so we look forward to that time. And yeah, we don't know when that day is going to be. And so the question for us is, how do we wait? How are we supposed to wait in this in-between time? See, the kingdom of God has has come in, in part, Jesus His life, his death, and his resurrection kind of ushered in the kingdom of God, but it hasn't arrived fully. And so the church exists in this time. It's kind of like this already but not yet kingdom of God experience. And we're waiting for the future fulfillment. But how are we going 
to wait? Are we supposed to just sit around, go through our our normal day-to-day motions and just binge Netflix while we wait? (laughs) I don't think so. This morning, we're gonna talk about how we're to remember how to wait for the coming of Jesus. And we're gonna see that each and every single one of us are called to actively wait for the second advent of Christ. So the first thing that will help us remember how to wait uh, comes from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7, and that's we need to be sober-minded and alert. Sober-minded and alert. 1 Peter 4, 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So being sober-minded is this idea uh, you're, you're focused, you're, you're clear-headed, right? You're not foggy-brained. I'm a little foggy-brained right now. I'm a little drugged up trying to, because I've been fighting some sickness. But you're, you're clear-headed. And did you catch the reason that Peter says, hey, be sober-minded, be self-controlled? He says right at the beginning, the end of all things is at hand. Now, does that mean that Peter thought that Jesus was going to return like any day? It's quite possible. We know that the early church had a great sense of the imminent return of Jesus, and they lived with urgency in that. And and maybe that's something we've lost a little bit uh, because it's been 2,000 years. I know that I lose that sometimes. I kind of forget, oh, could he actually come back any time? How am I living? But he says the end of all things is at hand. But even if if Peter didn't expect Jesus to return any day, what he was declaring is that all the major events in God's plan of salvation, culminating in the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost had occurred. So therefore, Christ could come at any time. This is what Peter's trying to say. The end is at hand in Peter's day, and the end is still at hand today. Do we believe that? Do we believe that the end is at hand? And this imminent call of the return of Jesus, again, is not a call simply just to stare up into heaven and wait and do nothing. Instead, as Peter says, believers are to be self-controlled, sober-minded, devoted to prayer so they can maximize their usefulness in expanding God's kingdom now while we wait. So this is the idea Don't just sit around on the lazy boy and do nothing. Stay alert. Get focused up. Wake up. Get in the game. There's work to be done while we wait for Jesus to come back. It's easy for me. It's easy for us to get complacent and apathetic and to lose that sense of urgency. I need reminders about this all the time. 2,000 years has happened, and he hasn't come back yet. But here's the thing. Every day that dawns is one day closer to the return of Jesus. So today, we're closer to the return of Jesus than ever before. Something to think about. We also need to be sober-minded because we actually have an enemy. We have an adversary who is active. 1 Peter 5 Verse 8, 
It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. So scripture is clear that the devil is, is real, is alive, he's, he's active. And it gives this image of, of a lion prowling around, doing whatever he can to attack, to deceive, to destroy, and to distract. You see, Satan knows he's on the losing side. Christ triumphed over him at the resurrection. But he's going to do whatever he can in his limited power to try to take down as many people with him and to try to keep Christians from being effective while we wait. You see, Satan can't take our salvation from us, but man, he can, if he can keep us distracted and get our eyes onto all kinds of other things, he doesn't even have to do anything else with us. When the Allied forces stormed the beaches of Normandy in World War II, what became known as D-Day, it was the effective defeat of the Nazis. It would now simply be a matter of time before the war would end. That's what everybody believed. But do you think that the Allied forces told their men once they had made it to Normandy, okay, just take it easy now. You guys have made it there. You're in France now. Enjoy the sights. Relax. No. They had to stay on guard. They had to be sober-minded and stay alert because the enemy was still around. The fighting continued for 11 more months until VE Day on May 8th, 1945. So in the same way, you could say the church is kind of stuck between its own D-Day, the resurrection, and VE Day, the return of Jesus. It's just a matter of time until VE Day. But we can't let our guard down. So the point is, it's no time for us to just coast along spiritually. We need to have these reminders. The end of all things is at hand, and so we've got to be sober-minded. There's no days off in the Christian life. We have an enemy out there. The second thing that we need to remember and how we wait for the return of Jesus is we need to avoid loving the world. Avoid loving the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 17 He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And here's the big point. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So when John says, do not love the world, he's talking about being devoted to or being aligned with the world systems that are opposed to God. And they're temporary. He's saying, don't get caught up in all the things that are going to pass away. The world isn't going to last. So why would you love it? And worldliness is against godliness. They're opposed. And worldliness is sneaky, it's prevalent, it's attractive, and it's easy. But it's fleeting. All the worldly comforts, the desires, and the philosophies, they come in, they damage and distract the church. The church is not very effective at being salt and light in the world when it's preoccupied or trying to be like the world. When we get wrapped up with the desires of the world, our witness suffers. 
And it's a world, by the way, again, it's not going to last. It's temporary. Charles Dutton, the character actor, he spent seven years in prison for manslaughter as a young man. While there, he developed his interest in acting. Upon his release, he worked to get small parts on Broadway until he finally hit it big in the production The Piano Player. After his Broadway success, he was asked in an interview how he made the remarkable transition from the prison years to Broadway. Well, he said, unlike the other prisoners, I never decorated my cell because I wanted to be reminded every day that my prison was temporary. Dutton never regarded a cell as a permanent home, so he didn't allow it to distract him as he waited for his release. Because the world system, the world is not our true home. Windsor, Canada, is actually not our true home. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. To love and to pursue a world system is actually foolish because it's passing away. Christians are called to pursue that which is eternal, the things that are going to last forever. Scripture actually lays out three things very clearly that are going to last forever. I mean, God, number one, he is eternal, so he will therefore last forever. Scripture also says that the word of God will endure forever. And then scripture says that people will last forever in one of two locations. People will last forever. So those three things should be where our focus is. God, his word, and people. Your money, possessions, success, status, all those things will fade away. That doesn't mean you shouldn't go to work tomorrow. Paul writes about that. Yes, you should work and you should honor God in your work, but recognize the bigger picture. That work is also temporary. See, your money and your possessions and the pride of life won't make it to heaven. But money and possessions and pride can keep people out of heaven. So instead of pursuing the temporary worldliness of church, we're called to invest in eternity. And we're called to invest in eternity by working to expand the kingdom of God while we're here. And we do that by making disciples. Matthew 28, 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what we're to be about. Our stuff is going to last for a season, some of it for a really short season. Some of you maybe have already broken what you got for Christmas, and you're going, did you keep the receipt? Or you didn't even, you've already lost it, and you're like, I don't even know what I got. Short seasons, but people will last forever. So we've seen this call to be alert, to be sober-minded, and this alertness is going to help us to avoid loving the world system as we wait for the end of all things, which interestingly enough, Scripture describes it as a wedding celebration. This wedding is between Christ, who's described as the groom, and the church, who's described as the bride. And so we need to remember to get ready for the wedding day. That's the third thing this morning, to get ready for the wedding day. So in the New Testament, we have this idea that the church is depicted as the bride of Christ. In Ephesians 5, Paul tells us that while our human weddings and our human marriages are deep, meaningful, and precious, ultimately they're meant to point to the reality of Christ in the church. 
And so while the, the church has been, had been made the bride of Christ presently, the full reality of this relationship has yet to come. The wedding day celebration hasn't happened yet. You could say in one sense that we're betrothed to Jesus. We're, we're, we're his, absolutely, but we haven't yet tasted the fullness of what that relationship is gonna be yet. One day, we're gonna, we're gonna experience that. The consummation of all things. The Lord is gonna descend. Heaven's gonna meet earth. There's gonna be this new earth. And we wait for that. We wait for the return of our groom king, Jesus, and we wait patiently, we wait eagerly, and we groan as we experience all the effects of a still um, sin-stained creation. Many, many effects, sickness being one of them. We groan. One day, oh, no more sickness. We don't know when that day is coming, but we pray, oh, please, we know it is coming. In Revelation 19, we have description of that day. Verse six to nine, it says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. Why? For the marriage of the lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. A great multitude shouting praise, worshiping God. Why? Because the wedding day had come. The feast is here. The bride is ready. It's time to celebrate and party. You can say, oh man, it has been so hard. It has been so long. It has been so ridiculous. We've been waiting with anticipation and frustration and suffering and confusion and doubt. But on that day, it's going to be worth it because we're going to be finally with Jesus forever. And that's what we get excited about. And it says that, that the bride made herself ready and it was, she was granted to clothe herself with fine linen. I just want to talk about that for just a little bit. It is God who makes the bride pure through the work of Jesus Christ. The groom did all the work to make us his bride. Okay? It says it was granted to her to clothe herself. She had to receive the ability to put on the fine linen. Who granted that to her? God. Our salvation is 100% the work of God. We are simply gracious recipients that say, thank you. We can't make ourselves the bride. But it does say the bride has made herself ready. So what's going on there? The bride still prepares herself for the wedding day, just like today. You may, uh, a man may propose to a woman and she may say yes and they, they plan for the date and do all that kind of stuff. But when it becomes on the morning of the wedding day, the bride doesn't wake up and call the groom and say, okay, come and do my hair and my makeup and I want you to put the dress on me, please, and put my shoes on. No, the bride does that, maybe with some extra help. And so there's a balance here and a responsibility for the bride to act like a bride. 
This is not salvation by works. This is not any kind of way of, of earning our way into heaven, but this is understanding that it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, that we're forgiven, we're made holy and changed. But now that we've been changed, we learn how to live and act accordingly. And this fine linen, the righteous deeds of the saints, good deeds are meant to be the hallmark of Christians because we've been changed. We've been set free from the curse of sin and now we're able to live to God. And so the question becomes, are you ready for the wedding day? Are you trying to get ready for the wedding day? Are you even thinking about getting ready for the wedding day? Or are we just too focused on whatever's going on, our own pursuits and personal dreams? Or maybe we're just caught up really tightly in, in the world system and the culture around us that these thoughts don't even ever enter our mind. This is why we need reminders. We get distracted so often. I need reminders. We need the reminder that Jesus is coming. And Jesus is coming for a pure bride that has made herself ready. That wedding day is coming. It's to be longed for with great anticipation, but it's also a day to prepare for. One more passage just speaking about kind of the end of all things. It just, I love this passage too, Revelation 21, verse 1 to 4. It says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Yeah! That is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Every time I read it, I get excited. I, there are some passages that sometimes I can read and you're like, yeah, that's good. Yeah, I like that. I read that one, I'm like, oh, every time. Every time. God's kingdom fully come, new, renewed earth, no more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more sickness, no more breaking into churches and stealing safes, none of that, no more sin. But the best part is verse three, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will be their God. They will be his people. Complete unity, unbroken and perfect fellowship with God forever. Nothing to hinder or separate or divorce or distract or ever stop God dwelling with his people. Guys, God's plan has always been to dwell with his people. And, and, and Revelation 21 describes the day that's coming when this is a reality. And waiting for this day, again, it can be difficult. Waiting for weddings in general can be difficult. 
Brandy and I had a long-distance engagement. She was still in school in Saskatchewan while I had started work in BC. There were a lot of miscommunications, uh, frustrations, and, and difficulties in that moment. And can you call your mom? Because she called me, and it was kind of, I don't, I don't know. And, oh, okay, I'll call my mom, then I call her back, and sort of, not fun. But we were able to persevere because we knew July 10th, 2010 was coming. We, we, we were able to focus in on that. And I tell you, that morning, I was standing on a stage, and Brandy came around the corner at the back, and then she was in her dress, and I saw my beautiful bride coming down the aisle, walking towards me. It was as if all of those difficulties, those frustrations vanished. And it was replaced with, with joy. It, the day was here. It was, it was happening. And in the same way, when Jesus comes in glory for his bride, for the church, all the pain, all the struggles, all the difficulties, all the tears, all the terrible effects of sin, it's going to be replaced with complete joy as we enter into true unity with our great God. This is the wedding day. It's the day that's coming. Let's, let's stay alert. Let's be active in getting ready for this day. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you so much for this morning and the truth of your word that gives us hope as we wait in this in-between time and sometimes we're not sure how to act. It's been a long time. But I thank you for the clarity of your word that we can look to your promises with certainty and say, we know that you're coming back, Jesus. We know you're coming back. We don't know when. It's not our job to know when. Our job is simply to be ready. And so I pray for each one of us. Help us to be sober-minded. Help us to recognize the world is fleeting and passing away and to avoid loving it so that we can get ready for the wedding day. Lord, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of disappointment. There's a lot of sickness. There's a lot of just junk in this room. People are facing horrible things, hard things, have gone through hard things and horrible things, and we will go through hard and horrible things. But Lord, help us to remember the truth that one day it's all going to end. You are going to come and you are going to make everything right. You will vanquish all your enemies. There will be pure, perfect, uninterrupted fellowship with you. So renew our, our hope in you. Renew our ability to think on these things, to remember this truth, and help us to get ready for that day. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.